Hits, a podcast brought to you by Borealis Threat Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, president of Borealis. I want to start this short podcast with a story. I think I've referred to this several times in the past, but here goes. I started my career in, in security intelligence in July, in fact, July the 13th, 1983. I was a wet behind the ears, 22-year-old. I just graduated from the University of Western Ontario in my hometown of London, had finished a master's in Spanish, and I was hired as a multilingual analyst by Communications Security Establishment, or CSE, Canada Signals Intelligence Organization. For those of you not around in 1983, it's a long time ago, the world was quite different. We were still in the throes of the Cold War which of course was this dynamic struggle between East and West that had arisen out of the ashes of World War II. We, of course, in Canada, were part of the Western Alliance with the Americans, our other allies in NATO, the North American Treaty Organization, and the terrifying foes on the other side were the Soviet Union and its allies, the Warsaw Pact. CSE, as an intelligence organization, was born in the ashes of World War II, came out of some other signals intelligence that had been done during the war, and it was, for all intents and purposes, a Cold War organization. The vast majority of people who worked at CSE were dedicated to one thing and one thing only, and that was monitoring the activities of the Soviet Union and its allies to be able to, if not predict, at least warn of potential bad things like intercontinental ballistic cruise missiles or Soviet bomber attacks or whatever that was going to come from those nasty, dastardly, evil people under the Soviet empire. Remember, Ronald Reagan called him the evil empire when he became president. So when I joined, I was not a Russian linguist. I did not have, I had a bit of Russian. I'd taken two courses at Western, but I was by no means fluent. And I was part of a very small team in an old section called N4C. So November 4, Charlie. We were called, and I'm not making this up, we were called the rest of the world. When I joined CSC, there were somewhere around a thousand people. And we were a very small office of 12 people that did everything but the Soviet Union. In other words, the rest of the world. 12 people, rest of the world, go figure. Very Canadian. And at the time, a a man who became a very good friend of mine, who was a a Soviet analyst, said to me, he says, Phil, you know, (laughs) you you, you young whippersnappers in N4C, all these university grads, you guys are just a blip. You're just kind of unnecessary addition to what the real problem is. And the real problem is the Soviet Union. We're going to have you guys, we'll have you guys stick around because, yeah, maybe some people downtown Ottawa might want to know something about, I don't know, what country X or country Y is thinking from a foreign policy perspective. But the Soviet Union and monitoring the threat is really where the action is. You really should come join us. That was in 83 or 84. Fast forward six years later, and of course, the Berlin Wall falls, followed very quickly afterwards by the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And all of a sudden, all these people that worked where the action was had no action to be part of. We had to let go lots of Russian linguists because we didn't need them anymore. We had won the Cold War. We were victorious. The Soviet Union dissolved. The Warsaw Pact dissolved. In fact, a lot of them became democratic states and eventually members of the European Union. What better sign of victory is there than that? As a result, not just us here in Canada, but a lot of Western intelligence agencies downed their tools, made a lesser priority of looking at what was happening in Russia. We actually welcomed Russia as a partial ally in the aftermath of the Cold War. We thought that they were kind of on our side. And in the post-9-11 period, we focused all of our resources not on counter-espionage, because again, the Russians were, they were a counter-terrorism ally. We added the Russians to G8 sometime in the 2000s, because they were our friends in this counter-terrorism fight against Al-Qaeda and other extremist groups. 
As a result, we just didn't do as much counter-espionage as we used to. So in the heyday of the Cold War, it was all about counter-espionage and counter-intelligence. Counter-terrorism was a sideline at best. And, and in, in this book that I'm working on now, on a history of counter-terrorism in Canada, and I go into a lot more detail on that. Hope you have that book finished by either late this year or next year. Why am I bringing this up? in July of 2020. Well, there's a fascinating piece that, that has come out on the website intelnews.org, and it refers to a report. This is a report that came out into the UK either yesterday or today. It's a so-called long-awaited report on Russian meddling in British politics. So if you go to intelnews.org, you'll find it there. And what this report finds is quite striking. It's quite unnerving. It finds that, I quote, not just British, but Western intelligence agencies as a whole remain incapable of combating online psychological operations from foreign state actors, primarily Russia, aiming to influence Western politics on a mass scale. It goes on to say that this is ironic because, of course, Western spy agencies used to be really good at this, besides the Cold War, as I've been talking about. This report is getting really a lot of attention because it points to a significant problem in intelligence agencies, and that problem is the following. We're very good at what we do. Am I biased? Absolutely. I spent 32 years, for God's sakes, in the business. I'm not, I can't be unbiased when I talk about intelligence. But we're not capable of, of doing all things at all times. So just like in the Cold War, we had a rump section that did the rest of the world. And then in the post-Cold War, that rump section that I belonged to became the be-all and end-all for CSE in the 1990s and did the 2000s. We devoted, we took, we robbed Peter to pay Paul in the post 9-11 period to devote all of our resources to counterterrorism. Why? Because we had to. You cannot react to the single largest loss of life in a terrorist attack in the history of the universe without redeploying your resources to stopping the next one. 9-11 was a catastrophic intelligence failure on the part of the Americans and their allies. It couldn't be allowed to happen again. Ergo, we took people from counterespionage, from counterproliferation, and we put them on counterterrorism. And that's been the world for the past 20 years. Most security intelligence services that I worked alongside with, the lion's share of the resources and the money and the attention and the investigations were all in counterterrorism. Because as I said, the, there was no choice. We had to do that. And yet by doing that, by taking resources away from counterintelligence and counterespionage, we've allowed actors such as Russia, and I would argue China, to get away with bloody murder. They've been carrying out their operations, whether it's influence peddling in the case of the Russians with their attempts to, and probably successful attempts to influence the 2016 election in the United States that brought us Donald Trump, as well as elections throughout parts of Europe and whatever China's doing from an economic espionage perspective. They've been given free reign because we haven't had the men and women necessary, their resources that are required to investigate this threat as fully as it should have been. You've only got so much money. You've only got so many people. You can't make stuff up. You just can't invent resources. You can't invent money. It's there and you allocate it based on the priorities of the day. The priorities as identified by your governments. And the priority for the past 20 years has been counterterrorism. For all the reasons that I've been talking about and I'm sure you know about. No, espionage didn't stop just because 9-11 happened. But our investigations were largely put on hiatus because they had to. And now we find ourselves in a situation where we're realizing the bad guys are still out there, still doing bad things, gaining advantage over us. So what does this all mean? I don't know. 
Can we afford to take resources away from counterterrorism and put them on counterespionage? I would argue no, because I don't know about you, but I don't think terrorism has ended. I don't think it's ending anytime soon. The threat is still there. We're still coming across plots in Western countries on a weekly basis on average. And countries like Afghanistan and Nigeria and Somalia and Iraq and Syria are seeing terrorist attacks on a daily basis. And there's lots of reporting about actors moving into other countries. A lot of what I talked about in my third book, The Lesser Jihads, people are being displaced to other theaters of operation. So we can't stop doing counterterrorism, but we got to start doing more counterespionage. And how are we going to do that with the same bucket of resources that we have right now? I don't have an answer to that question. That's a question for governments. That's a question for those who, who make priorities. That's a question for those who leverage requirements on their intelligence and law enforcement agencies. I wouldn't want to be in that chair right now. That's a difficult decision to make. That's a different call. That's a very difficult call to have to come down on. Do I take resources from A and put them on B? Do I rob Peter to pay Paul? We did it once before. We did it twice before, actually, after the fall of the Soviet Union and after 9-11. Are we going to have to do it again? I don't know. We, we seem to be pendular as humans, don't we? We go from one extreme to the other. We swing back and forth like the pendulum on the grandfather clock. I wish we could do things better. I wish we had the resources in place to do this, but money's tight, and especially in a COVID-19 environment where governments are going into gazillions of dollars in debt trying to keep the economy going. You think that intelligence services are going to get more money? Then you're dreaming in technicality. You're living in a parallel universe. This is a very difficult problem to resolve, and yet we expect our intelligence services to do it. My heart goes out to them. I'm not sure how they're going to get this accomplished. It's going to be a tough one. As a result, I don't know. We're going to see more terrorism, and we're going to see more espionage. We'll also see counterterrorism successes and we'll see counterespionage successes. I just hope that, that when push comes to shove, at the end of the day, there are more successes than failures. Anyhow, that's how I see this particular problem. Love to hear what you think. You can reach me on email at borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. So you'll also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like what I have to say or want to provide feedback, go to my website, www.borealisrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. Find me your email address. You'll get a free daily digest. Love to hear from you. Drop me a line. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.